Hey everybody, my name is Drew Baker and welcome to the Brutal Podcast. On this show, I interview progressive winemakers, chefs, farmers, and other interesting guests at my kitchen table. We tell stories and talk about our lives and interests. Nothing added and nothing taken out. On today's episode, I interview Ian Hertzmark, founder, farmer, and miller at Migrish Farm. Migrish was founded on a commitment to a sustainable regional grain economy. Migrish grains are grown locally and organically in the Chesapeake Bay region on family farms, including their own. Their grain is stone ground and packaged by hand on their farm to preserve the nutrition, taste, and artisan culture that nature intended. All right, the table set. Ian's in the house. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. Of course. Good to see you. Um, so what's new? What's new? Um, well, we're getting some rain. I'm not so sure that's new, but... Uh, <laughs> and lots of it, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, no, it's good. We got uh, we snuck some strawberries in the ground uh, right before that happened. So we'll, we'll, we're hoping uh, we're going to get some, some good strawberries there next year from it. Uh, but yeah, we've got, uh, we've got some good grains coming online, some new systems coming online. It's pretty fun. That's exciting. Yeah. So I'm uh, recalling that the last time I saw you uh, in person, at least, uh, was at Old Westminster Winery, I don't know, four to six weeks ago. And uh, you, you came out, uh, we got to catch up and uh, concluded send, uh, packing uh, the back of your Subaru with 800 pounds of Maryland grown Jamberson for some winemaking at home. How'd that turn out? Uh, it's pretty good. It's actually... Uh, we got it racked. It's in, uh, it's in some five gallon carboys as we speak, uh, hanging out. Uh, not sure when we're going to bottle it. Um, did taste a little bit of it and, and for sure right away could taste, uh, the, the, the very, uh, local, uh, difference in the grape relative to, uh, the vinifera grapes I've worked with in the past. Oh, for so, sure. Yeah. yeah High acid, pretty, low alcohol, more fruit. Yeah. 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 A little bit more acidic, I think. Yeah. No question about it. That's yep. awesome. Um, yep. Cool. So um, I just wanted to set the stage for our listeners before I start berating you with uh, all the questions that I have on my <laughs> mind and this sheet of paper. Um, so most of our listeners know Old Westminster Winery launched a wood-fired pizza concept this year called Eat Pizza Together. Um, all of our ingredients are sourced from the Mid-Atlantic's finest farms, including grain uh, now from Meager's Farms, which is exciting. And uh, our oven's fueled by local hardwood. Um, Eat Pizza Together, under the guidance of our chef, David Barboza, is on a mission to support farmers, provide good jobs, nourish our community. Um, and we just think pizza is such an incredible medium for sharing local ingredients from the meat and cheese, veggie sauce, right down to the dough. Uh, and it's approachable, affordable, delicious. Everybody loves pizza. Uh, so that has really initiated my obsession with pizza. And as a result, uh, an extension of uh, my obsession with local grain that's growing, and thus my admiration for Migrish Farms, um, because y'all have been leading the way since day one, which was, what, like 2014-ish? Well, so we started, right, we started the project here at two, um, 2014. Uh, we started milling and selling grain in 2016, 
Um, and we really started to pick it up in 2017 and it's been a pretty steep climb ever since. Cool. Cool. Well, yeah. that's exciting. And I want to, I want to ask you so many questions about that, but, uh, for those who are listening, uh, and haven't had the pleasure of, of meeting you or hearing the meager story, uh, maybe they're familiar with it. Maybe they're not, and they want to be, um, mm-hmm. let's rewind the tape. Um, and, uh, would love to hear your story, like where you're from, um, you know, what you're about, how you got to where you are now. Right. So, uh, Originally from uh, the Front Range of uh, Colorado, just outside of Denver. Um, my, uh, you know, bat- background, I would say, was fairly suburban, exurban, uh, and uh, got interested in the outdoors pretty early age, pretty easy to do in Colorado with the lifestyle, and uh, uh, ended up uh, studying and working in uh, uh, biology and and habitat work and and plant and that led into plants and uh ultimately i sort of got into plant ecology and at the same time started volunteering on a local organic farm uh in fort collins colorado and just got the bug and and uh from there it was it was pretty natural have some farming in my background my mother grew up on a poultry farm um, and, and so had we, it wasn't ever too far from us. Um, and yeah, and I sort of split the next decade between doing lots of field work and, and, and working seasonally on farms and, uh, eventually made my way out East and worked on vegetable farms in, uh, New England, Western New England, uh, the Hudson river Valley, New York, uh, mostly vegetables. Um, and then, uh, ultimately relocated here to the mid Atlantic and, um, was doing, uh, I, I was, uh, I was working first, uh, managing a farm outside of Baltimore, uh, an educational farm, um, at the Pearlstone center. And then, uh, from that transitioned into uh, custom meat processing by, uh, a few happenstance ways and, and, uh, ultimately did, did some boutique meat for, uh, for about six years. And, uh, um, at the same time still had the bug and, and, uh, as we say, uh, in, in Hebrew, the, the Shalom bias, the peace in the home was, uh, was bubbly as, uh, my wife noticed I really needed to get outside a little bit more. So she granted me the opportunity to look for a farm of my own. And uh, it started out low key and ultimately left the meat biz and, and have been focusing on the farm ever since. That's amazing. What a cool story. Yeah. Um, so how, uh, at, at what point um, did you really become infatuated with, with grain and, uh, and, and milling said grain into flour specifically? Uh, g- good question. Um, I, well, there's sort of two threads to that. One is that it was really just by chance. Um, and, and the background is in vegetable production, uh, or the agricultural background is in vegetable duck production, light dairy and, uh, stone fruits, uh, orchardry. And, and, um, the mid Atlantic, pretty hard to do, uh, to do, uh, orchardry, in a way that I felt comfortable with here in the mid Atlantic. 
the vegetable scene is pretty saturated with some pretty high end growers and it just seemed like, you know, a very high risk venture to get there. And, uh, you know, having talked to some mentors in the area that everybody sort of identified grains as a, a, a gap in the system and there wasn't really anybody bringing local grains to, to the marketplace and it fit well uh, as a part-time venture while I was working full-time processing meat. Um, and so, you know, I, I started, I started there and you know, your first little quarter acre crop and then another couple acres and then, and, you know, and, and it all just sort of grows on you and it's definitely a bug. And, and as soon as I started milling it to add some value to the grain, uh, it just, the, the bug, the bug got bigger and, uh, you know, now we're milling thousands of pounds a week. We're working with multiple growers. Um, and, and we're uh, really focusing on, on trying to build local grains uh, that add, you know, add more carbon to the soil than they take away and add more, uh, more money to the system than, than leaves the system. And, and uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully build back on some of those old, uh, old, old time uh, varieties and old time technologies and uh, sort of good old fashioned handshakes. Yeah, for sure. I love it. So let's, um, uh, I was going to go a different direction, but you just sort of brought up a couple of topics that I think we yeah. should uh, dive into. I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on. Um, mm-hmm. So we've we've talked about, uh, you, you mentioned milling. Um, mm-hmm. For those that are listening, uh, in your case, in my intro, I said, you, you know, Mikrish is all about stone ground flour. Can you break that down? Like what is, what does it mean to stone mill flour and why is that important? Right. Uh, so stone milling is, uh, it's actually an ancient technology. It's, uh, it's a way of taking a whole kernel, whole cereal kernel and, uh, breaking it down into a smaller flour or meal that is then usable, um, and, and more, uh, more easily, uh, uh, create, you, you can create food faster from it once you mill it down. You know, you can certainly soak a grain and eat it. Uh, you could eat whole dry kernels, but that gets old pretty fast, and you don't you don't probably have enough molars for that. Um, and and so uh, stone milling is is really you know in its various forms, whether it's people using you know hand hand driven uh, milling stones for corn and and making the flatbreads of the Southwest or the the uh, draft animal driven or water driven uh, horizontal stone mills. It's really the same technology where you're using the grit or the, the, the texture of, of a stone to gently break down a kernel, preserve its nutritive value um, and get as fine tuned a product as possible. And uh with a little bit of modern ingenuity and modern technology, we can really fine tune that and 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 uh, do it in a, in a pretty pretty efficient way. Although the technology is really the same, every uh, every twenty thousand pounds or so, I have to break down the machine and dress the stones and resurface them. Um, you know, if I if I load the mill with uh, 
a grain that has slightly too high of a moisture and the stones glaze over. Maybe I have to, to do that dressing process a, a few thousand pounds earlier than I would like to have, uh, so, you know, stuff like this. Uh, but the big thing is that it's the nutrition, it's the taste, the nutrition, the function. And, um, it's really what humans have worked with in their, in their guts and their communities for, uh, thousands of years and flour as most of us as uh, contemporary Americans for sure um, is a pretty pretty modern uh, invention um, the main difference being that stone milled flours contain all of the germ and the bran which is where the nutrition is um, and modern flours have had all of that removed um, the main the main function being shelf stability a, a flower without its bran and germ is a flower uh, without all, all of the oils that might go rancid and oxidize and give off flavors um, and, and the new, more nutritious sweet parts that might uh, attract insects or, or uh, other animals that might want to eat it. You know, it's, it's, it, it's really where the nutrition is in the kernel. For sure. So what I hear you describing, uh, I like to try and take complex uh, topics and make them uh, overly simple. Um, so what I hear you saying is, is that stone milled flour uh, tastes great and it's healthier for you uh, yeah. than conventional flour because it has not been sterilized or stripped of its life. So Absolutely. it has that nutrition for you. Um, it does bring a uniqueness about it, um, but just fundamentally, it's better for you. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Love it. So, um, and you, you kind of, um, you talked about, you know, uh, the fact that whole kernels might also bring that nutrition, but, uh, it doesn't offer much pleasure when eating it. Um, when, um, you know, so let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, you, when, when you, when you load up your mill, uh, with, with, with kernels, um, you, there are, there are, um, different, uh, outcomes that you might be targeting, right? Like different sizes, different sifts, et cetera. Can you tell us a little bit, um, you know, for those of us that are interested about the nuance of, of milling and, and sort of, um, you know, your craft? Sure. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of, a lot of attention to detail, a lot of tinkering, um, and a lot of standing around watching grains flow, uh, and, and hoping nothing is going to go wrong in the process. Um, <laughs> that's, that, that, that's sort of a, a way of looking at life, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Um, it, it, there are variables, uh, different grains have different characteristics based on how much starch or protein in them. Thus they are harder or softer. Uh, they have different sizes, different shapes. Um, and the, that, uh, quality affects, um, how you operate your mill, how, how fast you feed the mill, the, the tolerance or the, or the distance between the stones that you maintain, uh, the speed of the stones. Um, there, are, there are various things that we can we can manipulate to to meet uh, both the kernel going in, and then ultimately uh, the product that we want coming out of it. And 
And really it's just kind of a combination of knowing the grains and then knowing what you're looking for and managing the system thereof. Um, it, there's certainly a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, you're setting, setting equilibriums, you know, you don't want it to be too much of this or too light on this. Uh, and it's finding, finding lots of sweet spots in there. Cool. Love it. So, uh, when you came out, uh, to old Westminster and we were chatting, uh, about all sorts of things from growing grain to growing grapes in the region, uh, I had mentioned to you that, uh, that, that at Burnt Hill Farm, our new property down in Clarksburg, which is where I live and, and I'm recording from today that we are, um, that, that we planted, uh, two different varieties of grain here. Um, we planted, uh, some Turkey red, which is a, a heritage variety. I sourced as much as I could, uh, uh, from Great Lakes, um, staple seed, uh, but it is tricky to get much of it. And I, and, and thus I filled out the rest of our fields, um, with a modern variety. Uh, it's nameless. I think it just goes by four numbers, uh, from Southern States. Uh, and so to my mind, it'll, uh, simply provide, uh, an interesting side-by-side, uh, and an opportunity to kind of watch and to learn, uh, from both and, and, and hopefully yield some crop as we seek to, you know, grow these grains organically. And, um, as a seasoned grape farmer, I'm under no, uh, a misunderstanding that there is nuances in, in all forms of agriculture. And, uh, there is, uh, you know, certainly far from any guarantee of a crop at the, at the end of a, a cycle, if you're, if you're not, um, uh, really skilled, uh, and perhaps even a bit lucky. So we'll see what happens. Um, so I'm kind of I've kind of got the bug a little bit, and uh, which is you know which is in part why I'm so uh, you know excited and interested to have this conversation uh, with you. Um, so that kind of leads me to to my next question, which is um, you know, what is your favorite part about Migrish Farm, about this sort of adventure that, as you put it, your wife allowed you to embark on? <laughs> um, what do you enjoy the most? Um. Well, I have, uh, I certainly have some, uh, some mercan- mercantile, uh, m- merchandising genes in my background and, and, uh, being at the farmer's markets and having a customer come up and, and have a little bit of skepticism or doubt and, and, you know, you ultimately to, to sort of talk them into something low risk because they, they really want to do it. Um, but they're still not sure. Uh, and, and they do it and then they come back a week or two later and their, their experience of the whole thing, even if, uh, there was, a, a, even if there was a, a certain amount of, uh, uh, that the bread didn't work out how they wanted it to, or, you know, whatever it was, just the, this the the net experience for most people and what it brings to them in their lives and and the the positive you know the the positive experience and the, the sharing with family members and all of that it's i love it it makes it it's awesome that's awesome, awesome. yeah that's, that's it that's it and the other part of it is probably just late night uh dorking out in the shop with some broken bearing set or something like that <laughs> <laughs> you get some sort of weird satisfaction out of that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. <laughs> cool. Um, what is your favorite type of grain? Uh, you mentioned that you're working with a lot of heritage grains and, um, you know, which is kind of a, 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 a 
cliche word now or overplayed uh, a bit, but really it's just referring to varieties that preceded sort of modern genetic modifications. Uh, I had mentioned that, you know, the Southern States variety I'm growing goes by four numbers, right? Like no doubt this is the result of, of, of uh, some uh, extensive research and work, um, which, uh, you know, obviously uh, as, a, as a fan of science is fine. It has its time and place, but there's also, uh, I think, and you might agree, a need to not lose track of, you know, our, our origins um, and to grow varieties that have genetic roots here uh, and not in labs. So what is your favorite uh, heritage grain uh, to grow in the Chesapeake region? Mm, I'm pretty excited about emmer wheat. Uh, it's... Um Emmer is a is similar to spelt. It is a so-called holds wheat. It retains a papery covering on the outside, um, and it is the it's the grain of of antiquity. Um, it's it's the grain that was grown throughout the Mediterranean basin and into northern Europe, uh, roughly two thousand years ago, and it proceeds uh, and is the progenitor of pretty much all modern wheats. Um, its most direct descendant is Durham wheat, which we have a very difficult time growing in this region, but which, um, Emmer very suitably replaces in terms of its usages. Um, it's just a fascinating, gorgeous grain at very little input. Um, and I'm excited about it, not just because it's, it's, uh, it's got a lot of romantic character to it, but also because uh, the, the prospect that it provides um, an alternative to really, you know, you talked, you talked about, you, know, you, you alluded to it with uh, acknowledging the benefit of, of science and technology. And I think that many technologies and breeding, plant breeding being one of them, um, you have the ability to meet a specific target need but you just don't necessarily have the ability to forecast broader, um, broader impacts or consequences of that technology. And with uh, modern grains, um, while being bred for yields and higher yields out of the field, the, the converse of that is that they've been bred for inputs and, uh, the, the need for inputs 50 years ago was much different than the needs for inputs now. And a lot of that has to do with soil degradation because the plants themselves no longer are mining uh, a lot of their needs from deep down. And that's where these old fashioned grains, even though they're grown as annuals, even though they're grown in, in monocrops, um, many of them have extensive root systems and they're bringing up all of the minerals from deep down in the subsurface. And, and in fact, there's, there's, it's detrimental to fertilize them after a certain growth period, whereas in a modern wheat, you, you, sh you should be doing that. Um, and so emmer, to me, just really, uh, it, it, it symbolizes the, the potential to, to fuse old ways with new ways. Um, you can plant it with modern equipment. You can ha harvest it with modern equipment. You can process it with modern equipment, but you can also grow a field of it and have the same yields with one pass over the field versus eight passes. That's a lot less, uh, that's a lot less fuel consumed and, and CO2 put in the atmosphere.
Um, it can grow with less inputs in the ground, uh, no-till systems. You know, that's that's the big one. Uh, if there's another one, it's corn. I think we have a lot of cool corn culture here in the mid-Atlantic that is really untapped. And, um, you know, it's uh, down south, they've, they've, they love their grits. But I think up here we like our grits too, even though I'm a Colorado boy. Uh, I, I, I figured it out pretty quick. Um, so, uh, yeah, emmer and, and corn, those are my cool. two. That's awesome. Yeah. So you kind of, uh, you, you mentioned a couple of things about carbon, um, sequestration, the, the concept of sort of, uh, binding more into the soil than you would, are admitting into the atmosphere. Um, tell us, uh, a little bit about how you are using grain, uh, to, to sequester carbon, uh, and why, uh, that's important. Right. So the, the, the buzzword right now is regenerative. Um, and the sort of the distilled meaning of it is adding more carbon into the, the, broader, the broader soil system and taking it away from the atmosphere than you are contributing to the atmosphere. Um, it's now well understood that emissions from, from the operation of machinery to, to work the soil are actually a very, very small fraction of the emissions related to agricultural enterprise. And that in fact, soil disturbance is by far the single greatest contributor to CO2 uh, release into the atmosphere because of agriculture. And specifically what we're talking about is, is tilling up the soil, resetting all of the mi microbiology, and um, in the process, causing this bonanza that results in the massive release of CO2 in the atmosphere. And it's something that we can now observe on an annual basis um, in satellite imagery, where every April and May, there's this big blast of CO2 that occurs mostly It's pretty from, wild to look at these maps, yeah. isn't it? I've seen yeah. sort of almost the life cycle of, of carbon in the atmosphere annually. It's crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's, and it's mainly coming from the north, you know, the, the northern hemisphere where most of the arable land is. And it's mostly related to the growing of annual row crops, namely wheat and corn. And um figuring out ways to disturb the soil less to keep the soil uh the soil profile intact to 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 offset and or completely mitigate this 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 bulk release of of carbon that's what we're going for and uh, utilizing these older varieties that have more extensive root systems and more scavenging capability is probably part of that. Um, I don't think, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a purist in any one way and I don't think it's only no-till or only this or only that, but I think we have a lot of tools in our toolbox that really could allow us to, to make major headway in, in, in grain growing and, um, and, and allow, you know, again, for, for more localized and or regional circulation of the resources that it can create. Um, that's cool. So, um, let's say, uh, one of our listeners is, uh, you know, is, is sort of captivated by this conversation. Um, the idea of, of, 
of growing crops in uh, in our region or any particular region, uh, the the opportunity to become uh, you know a land steward uh, who leaves a particular slice of land uh, in better shape than they found it, uh, and perhaps even aspires to to make a living in the process. Um, what kind of uh, you know what what advice would you give? Uh, to um, a person, um, either a young person or someone who's interested in sort of retooling themselves um, to, uh, you know, to embark on a farming adventure as, uh, you know, as a career path? Mm. Uh, Well, (laughs) it's a lot. I know there's not necessarily a clear cut answer for that. Um, No, 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 no. There's, there's not. And, and I guess outright, I'll, I'll just acknowledge that uh, the amount of resources and the amount of capital startup related to different agricultural ventures is great. And what it takes to start up a small market garden is not the same thing as it is to start a vineyard or as it is to start a, a grain operation. And um, I think it is because of that, uh, that one should really work slowly, not bite off more than they could chew, uh, understand the benefits of, of a credit system, but not become reliant on it and really take the attitude of working from ahead versus working from behind. Many young farm farmers get caught up working from behind and, and slowly, slowly they're, they're, the debts accumulate and the, the resources that they're, and, and, and there's a lot more to the slow and steady than to the, the big in, in a, the big splash, if you will. Um, and when it comes to grains, uh, I think it's even more so because of the capital expenditures on very uh, specialized equipment is are pretty tremendous. And uh, thankfully, you know, a side note here in the mid Atlantic, we are right next door to, uh, to Lancaster County and there's uh, lots of, uh, lots of very uh, scrupulous uh, Mennonites and Amish folks up there who have squirreled away pretty amazing early 20th century equipment that is very scale appropriate to the young the young modern farmer and it's all in full working condition and they may even show you how to work it and fix it if you're lucky so uh you know don't 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 overlook those resources yeah for sure um that that and and what a really cool opportunity to learn and and uh, and put some ancient technology to work um and you know also you know i think for those listening you know capital is is you know not something it is something that needs to be talked about uh you know in the context of these conversations because it is a real requirement in the world that we exist and um you know but there are also some really cool um grants out there for for young farmers particularly new farmers, um, uh, minority farmers who are interested in, um, in, in hopping in and, uh, you know, state and local governments are interested in a lot of, uh, in, in diversifying the local food shed and, um, uh, stimulating new opportunities for new farmers. So, uh, there, there is capital out there. Um, but, but something you had mentioned that I think is also really important at the beginning of Migrish Farms, uh, while you were, 
were processing meat and trying to figure out what was next for you, you realized that vegetables, though uh, it was your area of expertise, what would be a difficult um, sort of segment of the local agricultural scene for you to make a splash because uh, that 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 sort of segment was already being well serviced in a lot of ways and so you needed to find a place where you could find an intersection of what of what the market needs uh and what and what you can or want to offer and uh so i think you know i think for young uh aspiring farmers or new aspiring farmers that's going to be a really important key is to figure out where that intersection of what you're passionate about what you like to do what you want to make intersects with what people want to buy or what the market needs. Um, because without both, it's an unsustainable system, right? Like you'd have to be um, passionate and good at what you do. Otherwise, the work that, you know, the list of chores never ends. Uh, and similarly, you need to make a product that people uh, are interested in or want to buy. Um, so I think that that's also really key. So, yeah. cool. Um, Pivot, pivot. I think the one of the the buzzwords that is really uh, amazing here in 2000, uh, 2020 with COVID is a pivot. Yeah, for sure. The word of the year. Um, so I, um, I'm I'm curious. Do you have uh, or have you had a mentor or mentors, people who you admire and have learned from and have helped you sort of um, you know in your uh, farming career specifically? Um, yeah, uh, I have, I, there, there have been certain, uh, uh, proprietors of vegetable operations, uh, that have certainly, you know, taught me b both a lot about farming and, and a lot about the broader world and, and being a person in this world. Um, I, th I think, um, I, <laughs> You know, part of my background as an ecologist, specifically in, in plant ecology, is uh, grassland ecology. And one of the things, you know, one of the, the synergies here is that I have a very strong gra background in grasses in particular. Um, and I, my mentor there, I, you know, I hear her words in my head all the time. I'm in the field. I'm... Uh, I'm thinking of spiritual matters. I'm, I'm, you know, having arguments with my kids about Cheerios, you know, whatever it is like she's, she's there. And, uh, I definitely give a, give a big shout out to Geneva Chong of the U S geological survey. Um, in terms of grain specific mentorship, it's been very hard. Uh, I would say my greatest mentors in, in grain agriculture to date might be uh, two authors. One of them is Gene Logston, uh, The Contrary Farmer. Uh, he wrote a book also, one of the first books on small-scale uh, grain growing um, for, for cottage farmers. And he's absolutely amazing. Um, and someone who actually passed away uh, yesterday, two nights ago, uh, his name is Jack Lazor. He's a, a dairy farmer in uh, Vermont. But uh, about 10 years ago, he wrote a, a manual for grain growing in the Northeast that wow. um, was, 
you know, I, I think it is the basis for, for recapturing a lot of the, the older knowledge that really had the chance to, to slip away after this two generation gap between old timey growing and, and what's happening now. Um, so uh, those are, those are the two uh, sort of mentors um, that, that come to mind, these authors and, uh, and this, this, yeah. Um, but I will, I will offer this, that mentorship in whatever way one can, can seek it out and benefit from it is just so key. Um, you know, whether it's that quick quip, you know, from the person who's, uh, you, you, the stranger who's packing your groceries or whatever it is like there's, it's, it's more of a, a it's a psychology that you have. You need to want to be mentored and to learn and have an active frame of learning throughout. And if you do so, you will glean a lot from your, from everybody around you. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and I think um, you, you had mentioned the importance of kind of seeking out mentors uh, in, in whatever method that may be. It definitely, you know, it takes intention. Uh, I think it, it, it takes um, a, a humble spirit, um, you know, a, a quickness to ask questions, uh, to learn, to listen. And, um, you know, I, I think that um, all of those are, um, you know, really important in life, uh, but also in farming, uh, while, you know, we are all, uh, you know, there's just so much that we don't know. And the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. And, uh, you know, we're all, um, you know, collectively working to fill information gaps for one another and the better, you know, we communicate and, um, you know, sort of like the more, uh, of a, a, a student's heart we bring to agriculture. Uh, I, I think, I think that, um, you know, it, it serves us all well. Um, yeah. So that's cool. So, um, for those listening, um, how can they, um, learn more about Migrish, perhaps support Migrish, uh, and in so doing so, uh, more broadly, um, support your very important mission of, of building a regional sustainable green economy. Um, if you're in the, uh, if you're in the mid Atlantic region, the Chesapeake Bay region, um, certainly you can come check us out at, uh, various farmers markets, the Tacoma park farmers market every Sunday, the, uh, Baltimore, uh, JFX farmers market. Uh, we also have various distribution options to home delivery, uh, shipping options. Um, it's pretty important to us, although we're not fanatical about it, um, that we're focused on folks in this community. And so if you're outside of this community, we're more than happy to uh, direct you with some of our networked folks in, in uh, places like the upper Midwest or New England or uh, Texas or California or Pacific Northwest. And, and you know, this is happening on a regional level in lots of places. Um, you know, thank God. Uh, yeah, it's important. And, yeah. And, and, um, you know, I, I, I would just say that, uh, in this region too, that if you buy grain from next step produce or purple mountain organics or Wade's mill or Woodson's mill or, uh, any of the local cottage bakers that are just booming in this region, um, you're supporting what I do. 
Um, you can certainly support me directly through uh, buying migrashfarm.com, etc. But but I think it's uh, it's more of a movement that should be supported than just uh, just my uh, my own operation. So cool. Beautifully yeah. put. Well, thank you, Ian. It's been a, a pleasure to interview you today. Um, to all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, please feel free to subscribe via Spotify or iTunes or however you like to consume your podcasts. And um, we look forward to uh, seeing you next time. Thanks so much, Ian. Appreciate you. Thank you.